Listener discretion is advised as the Ebenistas podcast may contain suggestive and or triggering themes and overall adult content. Oh, so my care package that Rachel sent me um, had the Yingling Hershey's in there. Nice. Um, I like it, not my favorite. Um, it's not as heavy as I thought it would be, which is good because I've been, even though I like heavy beers, I've been leaning towards having lighter beers lately, especially if I can find like a light, lighter feeling stout or porter, things like that. But this one has like that weird bite to it. Um, I don't know how to describe it. There really is don't. like a slight little like aftertaste kind of thing like that you don't quite expect to be there. I thought it was going to be a little bit sweeter and smoother mm. than it actually is, but it's not that it's bad. It's just like, huh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Do you have any beers for tonight? I do not. I am drinking some Sutter Home Moscato that I got from the gas station. So Moscato. very classy. Um, and some espresso because I'm tired. <laughs> so there we are. Moscato. Whenever someone says Moscato to me, I just think about like pink and just like girly drinks. Like, and then also was it, what's his name? Um, Waka Flocka Flame. Oh, okay. Why? I, I'm a drink Moscato and you go. Oh, do it with no hands. Okay. Yeah. I, was to, I was like, get me there. Help me. <laughs> why? I, I used to know that whole song. And it's just been a while, but that's a jam. That's still a jam for me. It was. Oh, I didn't realize what it was about for a long time. Really? I thought they were talking about dancing with no hands. Mm-hmm. Like booty popping? Um, but that's not what they're talking about. Mm-mm. No, they're talking about that throat baby. <laughs> are, you, are you still listening to that song? Not as much as I was before. So the <laughs> moment has passed. I love, I love when that happens. You're just like obsession, obsession, obsession. Done. <laughs> I'm good. It's over. Mm. Well, hi guys. Hello. It's the Ebenistas. How are you? How's it going? <laughs> Happy New Year. Happy New Year's Eve. Well, by the time that you guys hear this, it'll be well into 2021. Um, Rachel was actually telling me this morning, I was talking to her earlier, um, this meme that was like, okay, we understand that it's 2021 in Australia. Can you guys send out a signal? Let us know how it is. What's going on? <laughs> we haven't heard word yet. <laughs> is, is it better over there than over here? <laughs> please, please let it be. Um, but we are starting off the new year with an episode about fairy tales. Because what better way to start off the new year with tales of wonder and delight for children and adults alike? <laughs> we won't be covering that version though Mm-mm. no please send the babies elsewhere um it's not that kind of party it never really is it's not a children's party with us sorry guys it's not but either way so we had so much fun researching this um I remember when you suggested this topic for us at first I was like mm, uh, I don't know and then I started and then also my brain clicked and I was like you know what there might be more to this than I'm like not realizing. And I start researching it and I was like, oh yeah, there is so much more. It's, it's wild. It I love is. it. There's a dark and sordid history behind all these stories that we, you know, tell our children. I know that like my dad would get me like these gigantic books that were like bigger than me at the time. Mm-hmm. And he would read me all these stories. And I've always loved fairy tales. And that's probably why I'm such a hopeless romantic. But... <laughs> 
when I when I heard about the origins, I was like, yo, this is this is this is different than I I thought it was gonna be. That's not but, what my mom said. Interesting. What? That's what I'm saying. Like, that's not what my mom said. Like but that's that's not the story I heard at all. <laughs> Bottled wine, canned wine, box wine, it's all mine. But listen. I'm not gonna lie, my wine collection has taken a serious hit during quarantine and I'm stuck inside. That's where Wink Wine Club came in handy. I finally joined the club of all wine clubs. Now I get wine on my porch like a magical unicorn. I want you to have the same magical experience I've had. Visit wink.mivh.net backslash ebonistas and get $20 off your first order. And what made it doubly awesome for me was that I was able to narrow down wines that were 100% vegan. I didn't have to go back and research. Wink did all the work for me. All you have to do is a little quiz at the beginning of your signup and Wink will suggest the best wines for you based on your palate. So join me and let me know what your favorite finds have been. Again, go to wink.mivh.net backslash ebonistas, E-B-O-N-I-S-T-A-S and get $20 off your first order on us. But let's, uh, let's dive into it. Sure. Um, so really quick before we get into the actual stories we're covering today, um, let's go over the Grimm brothers. I mean, like that is like automatic when you think about fairy tales, everyone thinks about these brothers. Um, I thought, I'm going to say, I thought that they came up with these stories sort of like, I thought they came up with a good amount of them, but it turns out a lot of these are just part of folklore. Um, and not just, um, like a lot of the stories that we have, like even the Bible are basically a collection of stories from people that they made, you know, put into a book, but we're not just going to cover the Grimm brothers, although wait, they have, what the Bible is just a group of stories. It does not come from God himself. No, no, ma'am. What? <laughs> not the word of God. Hey, it's the word of people who are talking about God. So cool. But. Yeah, I know I'm going to get like my black card revoked for saying that, but it's the truth, y'all. Do your research. Mm. But um, we're going to talk about other other um, writers as well that have written some pretty dark fairy tales. But the Grimm brothers are by far the darkest. Yes, they are. Um, So really quick. So Grimm brothers, there's Jacob and Wilhelm. Wilhelm? Wilhelm. Willem. Willem? Anyways, these guys were born in the 1780s. 80s babies and they basically collected these stories um from family members friends the some of the most popular ones that they actually collected were from Wilhelm's future wife um and her family so that's where a lot of I guess the you know the ones that turned out in Disney things like that I'm guessing that's where most of them ended up what I thought was interesting was you had kind of like me and you right I was just thinking that Right. There's two different personalities in this duo. Right. So Jacob was the workaholic and he was more responsible for the research of the stories and the development of the language and the grammar theories that were put out within the stories. And Wilhelm was Doreen. (laughs) Uh, Wilhelm was known for Wilhelm. Uh, yeah Wilhelm okay anyway was known for having a warmer personality and a greater interest in music literature and worked on sort of the presentation of those stories so yeah that is very much like Jabby and I I (laughs) (laughs) that's kind of how we do things yeah it's true the definitely the warmer part the warmer personality part I think is definitely you I'm just I'm full of life but I'm disorganized as 
Yeah. <laughs> Everything's fine. Meanwhile, things are on fire in the background. Yeah, like my car sitting in the parking lot, barely working. Oh my God. We gotta, we gotta fix nope. that. Nope. nope. Okay. That's All right. Gonna wait till January the 4th. I, not even thinking about it. Um, so the brothers found huge influence with um, these people called, sorry, these people. I don't, I say people because I'm like, are these men's names or women? But Clem, I'm gonna guess men, right? Clemens Bertano and Akim von Arnum. I'm probably saying that wrong, right? That's probably like a German. Akim? Akim? Armin? Armin? Von Armin? I don't know. Sorry, guys. Um, but they were collectors of folk tales and um, folk poetry. And so they basically got that influence from them. And they actually submitted uh, manuscripts to these guys so that they could have their stories put into like this bigger um, storybook of folk tales. And they got denied. And, but even though they got denied, um, they kept pushing. And so they decided that they were just going to publish their own book. They were like, fuck you guys. You don't think we got it. We know we got it. And ta-da. I mean, when's the last time you heard about Clemens Bertano? Just saying. The Grimm brothers. No, yeah, exactly. Um, so they ended up, publishing their first volume of stories in 1812, which is cool. They did a couple other stuff, uh, more publishings, but I don't have the time to go through all that. You guys can look it up if you're that interested in dates and times. But the biggest thing that you have to remember is that these tales were supposed to be reflective of life back then. Um, It was primarily for Central Europeans. Um, Life was unpredictable. It was often cruel. Um, and these stories were told mainly by peasants, but then also there were some that many that came from middle and aristocratic classes who heard them from their servants. So, um, especially their nursery maids. So stories that, you know, were told to children and sometimes those stories, you know, remember like, um, what's the song ring around the Rosie? Yeah. About the plague. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like these stories that are supposed to, they sound cute and everything, but they're really just like these horrible stories and kind of like stories of caution almost to children. Yeah. Think about London bridges falling down. What? What? <laughs> it's what now? Yeah. <laughs> Why? Why? Um, I also thought this was interesting and this is only because I love linguistics, but they actually, um, so they were both professors at different points of their lives. Um, their scholarly work was in linguistics, folklore, and medieval and then there's something called Grimm's Law, which I didn't know about. And it's basically is the study of the way sounds and words from related languages have developed over time. So these stories definitely were not originally uh, made for children. I, you know what? At least children, the way that we tell stories now, right? Like it seemed wildly inappropriate. Um, Wilhelm was the one who started making the stories a little bit lighter um, because they were so dark. I mean, Mm -hmm. their stories had a lot of running themes of child abuse, premarital sex, incest, graphic violence, troublesome relationships with parents. Um, There's a lot of like kids being abandoned by their parents. Dads Um, being a little like, yeah, like, you know, (laughs) like dads not necessarily taking care of their kids in the right way. My cat just scared me. I didn't know she was in here and I put, I went to push myself back and I just feel like this warm body thing like behind me. And I was like, oh, 
<laughs> what the fuck is this? It's my cat. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. Okay. Um, so yeah, there were a lot of running things about that. So it makes you wonder what kind of relationships they had with their parents. There's mm-hmm. not a lot about that, but I'm going to guess it's a little problematic, but just, you know, hey, my guess. <laughs> and so like, there's a story called um, Hans Dumb. It's about a man who impregnates a princess simply by wishing it so. What? And in the Frog King, a princess spends a night with her suitor once he turns into a, a handsome bachelor, but only after she throws the frog against the wall in frustration, and then he turns into a handsome bachelor, and then she proceeds to sleep with him. The Grimms would later strip all these sex scenes from like later versions of Rapunzel's A Frog King, but they got rid of Hans Dumb entirely. They're just like, we're not down with this stuff. This is not going to translate well to the people. No. <laughs> Too much sex. <laughs> well, you know, back then they were very, you know, they felt a lot of ways about people having premarital sex. That was like a big no-no. And so to have all these themes running into your stories that people are telling their children, it's like, you know, maybe not the best message. You know, what I think is really interesting about that is now you have artists that are doing like these grown-up versions of all these Disney characters and like what have you. People write, you know, fantasy, fan fiction. Um, you know, there's all this sexualizing of these characters. And I think it's interesting because people are like, we're like, why would you do that to a children's thing? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, 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 no. This is just coming full circle. Okay. It started out just like this. You know, then they made it all pretty. Disney helped make it all pretty. And now people are just bringing it back around and just like, fuck that. You know what Aladdin looks like in my head? Like a boss. Okay. So it's so funny that you say that. Like maybe, I don't know, a decade ago, I was really into like romance novels and all that stuff. And I came across some erotica by Anne Rice. I love Anne Rice. She wrote Interview with a Vampire and like all these, you know, vampire and like move like shows and TV shows and all that stuff that they're based off of her books. So I love Anne Rice and I would have, I read anything that I could get my hands on from her. Like if her name was on something, she wrote under a pseudonym, but still like a pen name, I was still able to figure out that it was her. And if you guys ever get a second, please, please do yourselves a favor and read the Sleeping Beauty Quartet. Um, it's written under her pseudonym of A.N. Rokalor. Wait, I thought it was only three books. No, ma'am, there's four. <gasps> there's a fourth that I haven't read? The fourth was written in 2015. <gasps> Googling it right now, Amazon. Yeah, you guys, this shit is, sorry to curse, but like it's graphic and mm. mind-blowing and just like, What? It is very dark and but very erotic and all that stuff. So if you have some free time, go ahead and purchase those books. You'll you'll be happy that you read them. I will say caution though, it is not for the vanilla at all. No. No, 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 not. no. There are a lot of like SM, you know, kind of themes in there. So just be prepared for that. Yeah. A lot of BDSM, a lot of um, I would say, what do you say, like master slave play type stuff. Yeah. Um, so mm-hmm. if you're sensitive to stuff like that and, you know, aggressiveness a little bit sometimes. Public humiliation. Yeah. Yeah. It, but she goes there. Yeah. She went real dark. Um, but anyway. But it's great. <laughs> <laughs> We're just weird. <laughs> don't judge us. Okay. Go ahead. Judge us. I don't care. I'm looking for this 2015 one right now. Okay. What? That's right. It started out as a, it did start off as a trilogy because I, I just saw one on Amazon. So that means that she wrote the fourth and she was like, you know what? The people want more. 
Well, she wrote the original ones in the 1980s. That's right. That's right. That's right. Okay. Oh, I'm so excited. I have all three. I'm so excited to get this next one. Thank you for letting me know that. So really quick, before we get into our story, coincidentally, about Sleeping Beauty, um, I found this quote from Albert Einstein. And it says, if you want your children to be intelligent, read them fairy tales. If you want them to be more intelligent, read them more fairy tales. Does that work? I mean, but which fairy tales are we giving them? We're giving them the Disney ones or the real ones? Ooh, I'm going to go ahead and say the Disney ones to start out and maybe transition uh, to the real ones as they get a little bit older. Some Fair. of these things are a little problematic for children. I don't think they would understand it. Yeah. But yeah. So that's fair. That's fair. But right. um, to, to back to your quote for a second, um, I, I got read a lot of fairy tales as a kid. So boom. Let's see. Apparently, when I was like three or so or four, I really loved Little Mermaid. I don't remember this. I remember watching it, but my mom said I was obsessed with it and wanted to watch it all the time. And I was like, I don't remember that at all because she's definitely not my favorite. Jasmine is like Jasmine was awesome. Um, but yeah, um, fairy tales definitely played a big part of child of my childhood too. Um, I read through all of them. Pinocchio. I think they made Hansel and Gretel a nicer version in the book that I had, like minus the witch even. It was weird. Yeah, I remember being in like, you know, before, like kind of first, second grade-ish. Um, and before that, my I was reading before I was in elementary school. My dad would always get me books every time he traveled, which was all the time. And so he would always get me, like, I, I became obsessed with collecting these fairy tale books because I noticed the stories were a little bit different in each one. And mm-hmm. so every time he traveled, he would bring me back a book. So I used to collect fairy tale books and just like read them all. But I, you know, we had a flood in the house, so I lost all of that. Oh, no, that sucks. Yeah. Damn. No Hopefully you can find those collections again. If I find anything good, I'll pick it up for you. Ooh, like some nice bindings. Like I find them every once in a while um, at the thrift shop. So if I find any, I'll send them to you. Save them and save them. Love it. Send, save, 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 save. Sally sells seashells by the seashore. Um, let's move on, guys. So let's get started with Sleeping Beauty. Um, we all know the story. We're not going to go over the original story at all. Um, there's no need to. I mean, not the original original. I mean, like the Disney version. The popular version. Yeah, there's no need to. First of all, can I just say weird? So <laughs> you always make these faces and it throws me off so much. I'm like, what's wrong? That's what's going on? Like, <laughs> like, do you not want me to start? What's wrong? <laughs> I, just, I like to make fun of you. I just, well, not make fun of you. I like to like have you kind of like, wait, what's going on? Nothing. Wait, that, nothing. It's just me being weird. Weird. Yeah, as always. <laughs> So um, the earliest version that I could find um, online was 1634. It's a story called Sun, Moon, and Talia. So you have this chick named Talia, and she falls unconscious by pricking her finger on a piece of flax. Um, What is flax? Flaxseed? Like, it's a plant, right? It just says a piece of flax. I'm going to guess it's the same that people have been obsessed with the seeds I guess so but I'm pretty sure that they used to use it to like sew okay okay that's fair that's right the whole sewing machine thing Mm -hmm. oh god yep it is I just found it okay sorry guys um not sorry so another we all know what happens dad thinks she's dead lays her to rest um but while she's unconscious a king just so happens to come by. Do, 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 do. Oh, sleeping girl, unconscious. 
let me get at it. He rapes her, just straight up just rapes her, right? Um, eventually, she finally wakes up and she discovers that she has given birth to two children. Um, the king that, impreg- that raped her, let's be clear about that, tries, she tries to eat the babies. The wife. The wife of the king. What ends up happening, short story, is the king ends up burning his wife alive so that he can marry Talia. Crazy. So the second story is is by Basile. It's the same rape story. Talia gives birth to twins, um, and she names them Sun and Moon. Searching for breast milk, one of the babies sucks the splinter out of his mother's finger, and she wakes up. The king returns to see Talia again and is delighted to discover the fruits of his conquest. Um, that she had kids after she was raped. Let's be clear with mm-hmm. that. Yeah, he's excited about that. Yep. And it's only a matter of time before the queen discovers her husband's infidelities. And so, and she'll probably order the babies to be cooked and fed to him. Unbeknownst to the queen, right? The cook hides the children and serves goat instead. When the queen attempts to throw Talia into a burning fire, the king intercepts and burns his wife alive. Talia marries the king and they live happily, happily ever after with her rapist. That's some nonsense. Yep. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's weird. Um, there's this whole series actually of things that happen, not just with the goat, but since there's two children, there's another version where, um, you know, the cook then serves her something else for the second baby and then serves her something else as Sleeping Beauty and then the queen finds out that all three of them are alive. And that's when the whole trying to burn her alive thing happens. Man. It's it's really weird. There's the cannibalism, like, wow. So there's this dude, Charles Perrault. Perrault? He is- Perrault. Per, huh? Perrault. Okay, Perrault. okay. Get it, girl. Show me off. Do it. <laughs> um, he's the one that introduced the fairy godmothers to Sleeping Beauty. Um, and he ended up replacing the king with a prince in his version. Wait, he introduced what? The fairies. You don't remember the fairies from in Sleeping Beauty? You said fairy godmothers. And I was like, yeah, I don't aren't, remember a godmother. Aren't they the fairy? Aren't they? I just assume that all, I guess, old fairies are fairy godmothers. <laughs> You're okay because you're picturing the Disney movie. Is that what it is? Yeah, the three, the so, three fairies. I've never, I've never seen the movie. Oh, okay. So in the movie, yes, there ends up being these three fairy older women, <laughs> fairy elders, fairy elders. Um, <laughs> they're absolutely adorable. Um, and so in his version, the prince's mother ends up taking on the role of the evil queen, and instead of feeding the twins to someone else, she I mean, threatens to eat them herself. So that is kind of similar to the other one. And then the same thing kind of happens when the queen attempts to throw Sleeping Beauty into a pit of vipers. The prince actually saves her while his mother um, jumps to her death. So the evil queen ends up jumping to her death. Again, with the problematic relationship with the parents. Like, (laughs) were parents just really neglectful back then? Is that what it was? Listen, I don't know. I I mean, and then you, you know, you realize in all the Disney movies, like a parent has died. Yeah. And I was that, I mean, I'm guessing because way back then, I mean, like medicine was so different and health was so different. I imagine that a lot of people grew up without another parent, right? I would probably. Damn. Damn. Yeah. So yeah, that's Sleeping Beauty, um, full of rape, cannibalism. (sighs) Yeah. 
it's weird. Think about that next time you see the movie. What is it? Matricide. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so next up is one of the ones that I was like, damn, really this one too? Rapunzel. So mm-hmm. Rapunzel is actually based on a true story. Uh, well, they think it is. It was thought to really? be about, yeah, it was thought to be about a young woman in Italy named Barbara. It said that they were I'm sorry, it was said that she was so beautiful that her father locked her away in a tower so no men could get to her. Though many asked for her hand in marriage, Barbara dedicated herself to God, and she decided to kind of convert to Christianity, which was a huge no-no at the time. And so she refused all of her suitors. Her cool. father, however, was a pagan. Um, so, wow. Wait, that's awesome. Thank you. I love that you gave me this part. I love it. Um, so actually what ends up happening, and why this is a big no-no in this story, the story goes that when she prayed for help, when he drew his sword on her, God created a hole in the tower for her to escape. Unfortunately, she was soon discovered and eventually beheaded by her father, who was then struck by lightning. Smitten. She, he was smited. Smited. <laughs> smited. <laughs> oh, my God. Struck down by the hand of God. <laughs> oh, my God. That's terrible. But that's the real life story, though. Let's keep that in mind. Like, that's, well, not the ending part. I don't know if he was struck by lightning, but she was beheaded by her father truly fucking crazy. Uh, um but the first version of the rapunzel story that was written that we can find was in the year 1600s by a writer named <laughs> gm Battisti. no let me try that again gm Battista basile from italy oh and wait th- that's the same guy from um yes from sleeping beauty exactly a lot of these um writers are gonna reappear Pierrot is gonna reappear too later on okay cool um So it was said that Rapunzel was sold to an ogre when she was a baby, all because her mother stole some parsley from a garden. She was forced to give away her firstborn child and was locked into a tower for her entire life. Now, the Grimm Brothers fairy tale of Rapunzel in 1857 gets much darker. Rapunzel has never seen a man before, so she is seduced by a prince and she becomes pregnant. The prince then goes blind and wanders aimlessly throughout the forest and some, in some versions, the world, while Rapunzel gives birth to twins all by herself. And after going through hell and back, where she is searching the earth for him with these babies, and he's blind and, you know, searching for her, eventually they find each other again. And when she finds him, they, he recognizes her by just touch. And when her tears fall on his eyes, it cures his blindness and they live happily ever after. That's a lot of information. Yeah. But, okay, so here's a part that I didn't see online, but when I first heard about this fairy tale, this is one of the ones that they covered. It mm-hmm. was said that, that the ogre or the witch that had her locked in that um, tower, mm-hmm. when, when, they caught, when that person caught her and him together, they tried to run away together and get married, or they did get married. And they, um, the witch tricked him into coming back to the tower where she pushed him out of it, where he, uh, the thorns at the bottom of yes. the tower blinded him and then he ended up wandering the earth you know searching for them and never being able to find his way back and then eventually they do but yeah crazy that's the one i was just gonna say to you i was like that's the version the crazy one of the crazy versions that i've heard about this one Mm -hmm. um i love that none of them really mention i mean i guess maybe they do we just didn't put it in there because it's kind of known that they climb up her hair um Mm Oh, we sure, I sure didn't. That's true. Yeah. yeah we know. You know the story. We all know what happened. Okay. She got seduced because she let him up her hair. Like, boom, bam, boom. Sounds like just like a virgin to me, right? Like, like a virgin. 
Okay. Climbing up her hair for the very first time, but not the last. And climb your hair, girl. <laughs> Let's yeah. go get a new line. Hey, girl. Let me get up in that hair. So, all right. Um, I also find it interesting that all these stories center around a young woman. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it's just because. I mean, does this continue the tradition that women are just always the more vulnerable sex? Yes, I think it's because typically these sad stories always involve them being victimized in some sort of way. And, you know, but a lot of these stories are being told as a lesson to women. Like, this is why you don't just sleep with charming men that you meet. This is why you don't do this. This is, you know, it's kind of a a moral, you know, for them to, so this is why you don't do that. Now behave yourself. Mm Mm-hmm. Don't go out by yourself. Don't, you know, look at men. Don't look at this. Don't look at that. Don't dress this way. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, God, it's exhausting. Why I are... mean, you can't even go to sleep without somebody just jumping on top of you, you know? Right? I mean, you you do remember Kill Bill, right? Yes. Oh, gosh, horrible. My name is Great Buck. Great movie. And I came to f- party. <laughs> My name is Buck. I ride a truck. And I like to, whoa. Wait a minute, Buck. Do you remember that? What is that from? <laughs> What's that from? It's it's a comedy. It's from like someone's stand-up. Oh my God, that's really funny. I love it. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> so our next uh damsel in despair or in peril or just life beating her down from the patriarchy. Um, Little Red Riding Hood. This one dates back um, pre-17th century. Pre-17th century versions um, from various European countries, Greece, Rome, originally told by French and Italian peasants. But when I researched this, there are so many versions of this. I had to actually cut this down and I can't wait to revisit revisit it again because there's even like a South African version of this. And which I thought was very interesting. Um, It kind of takes on a a different tone, but it's the same idea. Basically, we all know the story. Um, The dialogue between the Big Bad Wolf and Little Red Riding Hood has its analogies to the Norse Prim's poem. Anytime anytime I see the word Norse, I'm like, oh, that shit is old, like real old. (laughs) So here goes Perrault. Perrault? Perrault again? How do you say it? Perrault. You know, there's a lot of similarities between French and Spanish and Latin and Italian. So yeah. Perro goes woof, woof. <laughs> Sorry. So um, in his version, she is named Little Red Riding Hood because of her cape and her cloak. Simple, right? Um, in this one, the wolf suggests that the girl pick some flowers as a present for her grandmother. While she's doing this, he's like, okay, I'm gonna head over to grandma's like sneaky, sneaky. He gets entry pretending to be little red and he eats grandma, right? That's typical of the story for the most part. However, after eating her, he leaves some of the, her meat and blood that he cooks and offers to little red riding hood, which she does eat. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is why you don't eat at everybody's house. Listen, you can't just <laughs> eat at anyone's house. These are rules. These are, are the, did your parents not tell you that when you were younger? Um, my parents didn't really let me go to that many people's homes. Mm-hmm. They were like, mm-mm, nope, mm-mm. Same. So I, yeah, so it wasn't really, but 
after seeing some of the way that like some of my like friends parents would handle this stuff in the kitchen I was like that's nasty no thank you you can't just eat at anyone's house these are rules don't let them blindly serve you you want to be able to see mama in the kitchen okay ask if you can help be nice about it okay and help out just saying anyways so she ends up eating this and she's then ordered by the wolf who's still I'm sorry by the way obviously wolf is in grandma's disguise um she's ordered by the wolf to take off her clothes um, burn them in the fire and lay and lay next to him in the bed. When Little Red realizes that the that it's the wolf, um, and that he will probably eat her, she makes an excuse and says that she needs to go poop. <laughs> Very specific. I found several stories that said this. Very specific. Not even go pee. She needs to go poop. So, I wonder if that yes. says anything about like the history back then. Like, were people okay with you peeing in the bed? But they were like, but don't you poop in this bed? I don't know. Maybe he was just like, he was like, oh, you know what? Go ahead and get rid of that, you know, before I eat you. That's going to be good. <laughs> kind of like before you eat shrimp kind of thing or when people cook shrimp. Exactly. Listen. Yeah, clean it out. Clean it. Um, so he allows her to go to, the, you know, wherever she needs to go. I don't know what they, they had outhouses back then or whatever. The wolf ties a string to her leg so she can't escape. But thinking up top, Miss Red... She t- reties the string to an object and escapes. So that is Perut Peros version. Um, there are other versions where she also drinks a wine glass of her grandmother's blood that the wolf has left out. Damn. Uh, so in Grimm's version, the wolf leaves the house and tries to drink out of a well, but the stones in his stomach cause him to fall in and drown. Do you know that stuff? Do you know that version? Oh, it's been a while. This is never my favorite story. So there's a version where um, in order to trick the wolf into thinking like kind of like as like they captured him or something like that. So there's a couple of different versions. There's ones where grandma and Red Riding Hood are cut out of the wolf's stomach. Yeah. Um, only grandma is cut out. Um, and then there's another one where they throw, they put stones down his throat, basically. And so, yeah, it's weird. So that's where that one comes from. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And then the antagonist, though, depending on the version of the story, is not always a wolf. Sometimes it's a bizu, which is like a werewolf, making these tales like relevant to the werewolf trials, similar to the witch trials of the time. Uh, Mm -hmm. There was a trial of Peter Stump. Ooh, interesting. We have to look into that one. I want to look into that. Yes. But that makes sense, right? I mean, werewolf trials, I mean... I mean, it makes sense because think about it. Like, how would this werewolf be able to, like, talk to her? And, like, if this is a wolf, like, wolves don't do none of that. Right. You know, but if it were a werewolf, that would make a little more sense why she was even fooled at all. Listen, the hottest werewolf in the world is from True Blood. Alcide? Mm. Hervo? Yeah. Hello. Yum. Yes. <laughs> I know my mom is right now listening. She's going, yes, girl. <laughs> When he came on, like, I, you know, I, I just, I've, I've been rewatching True Blood in the past, like, month or two. And I'm like, damn, that man is beautiful. Like, Sophia Vergara. Sophia Vergara. Oh. Joe Manangelio, something like that. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I was going to say she don't know what she's doing with all that, but she obviously she does. does. She does. She wiped him up real quick. She was like, nope, put a ring on it. Yep. Yeah, she did. But he said that that was his, like, crush growing up. Really? So he was, Yeah. That's kind of like um, Jason Momoa and his wife. 
Yeah. Yep. What? What's his wife's name? Lisa Bonet. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> I can't remember all the celebrity names all of the time. Let's just say that. Please. All right. <laughs> That's also Bill's. I think we've said this before. It's also Bill's, one of his big crushes from his childhood. She's gorgeous. Yeah. She's very them. cute. Yeah. Um, so there's a couple different um, themes that Little Red Riding Hood is seen as. Um, it's seen as a right of a puberty right, um, rebirth kind of thing, you know, being eaten by this animal and then being cut open, like the wolf being cut open and then you're reborn, right? Um, puberty, she goes in as a woman, she goes in as a child and when she's reborn, she's a woman kind of thing. So there's a little bit of, you know, history back there. I guess you could interpret it in different ways. I don't know if you've seen some of these movies, Doreen, but I love some of these. Um, number one is Hoodwinked, which is an animated. Oh my God. I finally, I remember when I finally saw it, I was like, this is really genius. Like, this is such a fun movie. It's so out there. And it's not Disney, it's not Pixar, whatever. It's its own animated thing. And it's just a really fun movie. A little fun take on Little Red Riding Hood. She actually is a badass and so is her grandmother. And they actually like do all these like, she's almost like a superhero. I, I saw, I only saw it once like a long time ago, but I do remember her like kicking a lot of like butt. So like, yeah, she's <laughs> a badass. Yeah, karate. Um, have you seen Hard Candy? No. Okay, this is with um, Elliot Page. Bravo. This, yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Um, however, they wish to be, um, what do you call it? Um, referred to? Referred to. I'm sorry, I could not think of that word. Um, congratulations to him, by the way. C- completely congratulations. You know, it's really funny is like, um, I've seen his work on Vice in the last few years. And I was kind of like, getting this vibe a little bit. And I was like, well, I know that he previously, you know, identified as lesbian, um, identified as female, things like that. But there's just like a different vibe. And then like slowly creeping through, you know, you know, looking at more videos and more things of um, his activism and things like that. And I was like, I think there's a switch coming. I think there is. Yeah. And in the Umbrella Academy, you can tell that there's like, sort of like a non-sexual vibe that that was definitely being like projected, but not maybe not consciously. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I think I think something is about to happen with her or him. So yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it's totally, totally. But congratulations to him. So he does this movie early on in his career called called Hard Candy. And it's very interesting. So basically synopsis is he, I'm going to refer, go back and refer to she because that the character in the movie is a female. Um, the girl basically is lured into the home of a pedophile and it, I mean, the first, like, I would say 30 minutes or so, you think it's just going to be hell on earth for this girl and that she's not going to be able to escape, blah, blah, blah. But it's actually a plot twist, like a revenge type movie almost. Um, she is actually the wolf. Like even in the, the, um, uh, the picture of it, the poster for the movie, she's wearing a, a red hoodie and she, um, yeah, goes in all innocent, blah, 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 whatever. But she knows this person is a pedophile and actually turns into the wolf and ends up attacking him. So 
if you haven't seen it, it's a great movie. Um, you definitely have to sit through some uncomfortableness of pedophilia or potential of that. Um, but otherwise, it's a really great revenge movie. And who doesn't love a great revenge movie against um, a sicko? You know what I mean? And then this next one, I don't know. Again, this is an oldie. Freeway with Reese Witherspoon. Yeah, I've seen that. What's the guy's name? Do you remember the guy's name in it? Oh, gosh. He was really popular at the time. He's Hispanic. I got it. Keith Sutherland. Sutherland. Oh, that's not who I thought it was. No. Nope. It's. I'm pretty sure that's him. Um, yep, that is him. And again kind of a similar thing she meets she's kind of like this um she comes from a, a mother who gets caught up in a prostitute ring so her mom gets arrested um she's traveling alone her car breaks down this wolf sees her and is like "Ooh, young girl i'ma get it and it ends up that she kind of turns the story on him kind of thing so it's definitely another good one. And I just saw that there's a freeway too. Um, sequels to things sometimes make me really nervous, but Natasha Leone is in it. And who does not love Natasha Leone? Like she's effing amazing. So she is love her. Oh God, she's so cool. Did you see Big Mouth? Have you seen the new the new season yet? Uh yeah. Okay. Did you see the elevator part where he's in the elevator with Natasha Leone? Yeah. It's, during his black Russian doll type episode and he's like I love you Natasha will you make out with me (laughs) (laughs) awesome I love that show (laughs) but yeah so those are the three movies um I'm there's plenty of endless movies out there that replicate this story and I don't know I think it's really cool I love it during this time of social isolation and self-quarantine you may not feel safe going to the bookstore or you don't want to wait for your books to arrive in the mail audible lets you take your books anywhere with you no contact required The best part of Audible is that you can listen to a new book while you're on the go or even at home, chilling, cooking, cleaning. Don't forget, you can also ask Alexa to play a book or podcast for you, Ebenistas, duh. Who else is trying to learn something new? For me, it was Italian. So I used Audible to help me practice my skills. Give Audible a chance to help you learn something new by starting a free 30-day trial. That's audible.com backslash Ebenistas, E-B-O-N-I-S-T-A-S. Audible has thousands of books that you can listen to. There's literally something for everyone, no matter what you're into. Um, so next up, we have Beauty and the Beast. So this Beauty was originally... and the Beast. This was a, so I love the soundtrack to this and Little Mermaid. But anyway, <clears throat> Disney did do a couple things, right? Mm-hmm. So this story was originally published in 1740 by Gabrielle Suzanne Barbeau de Villeneuve. The most famous version of the tale, La Belle et la Bête, was produced by French writer Jean-Marie Le Prince de Beaumont in the 1750s. Her version of Beauty and the Beast is actually more of a critique of women's rights of the time, hidden behind layers of like marital guidance and what to do when you get married and that sort of thing. Uh, surprising though it may seem, a lot of people would compare the more modern versions of the Beauty and the Beast to a tale of Stockholm Syndrome. Rather mm-hmm. than romance, where with de Beaumont's other work, it makes more sense. Mm-hmm. I'm with you on the Stockholm Syndrome thing. Yeah. I, that's pretty much what it is. I don't care yep. what anybody says. <laughs> like, so um, before she was beauty, the writer translated this the tale of Madame de Ganges. Ganges. This tale was based on the real-life tragic history of Diane Elizabeth de Rosen. 
she was a wealthy, beautiful, and virtuous young woman. Um, she actually ends up remarrying someone after becoming widowed. Um, however, she marries the wrong dude. He's obviously the beast. He's jealous, and he also comes with two villainous brothers, and it says that they both fall in love with her. Wait, it says she, he comes with two brothers. So do all three of them? Yeah, so both of his brothers. Oh, so she got three brothers, like all of in her business? Trying to get that thing. Listen, I don't know what D- Diane Elizabeth was throwing out, but get it, girl. Okay, so neither of these brothers succeeds in corrupting her virtue. And their anger is so bad that they can't corrupt her that they decide to murder her. But listen, plot twist, with the endorsement of her husband, he's like, oh, you guys can corrupt her? Just kill her. It's fine. It's fine. I didn't need her anyways, right? Um, real stand-up dude. She's ordered to choose a method of her own death, actually. So she knows she's going to die. So she can either die by poisoning, stabbing, or shooting. She actually ends up the victim of all three. She's not only forced to swallow the poison, but when she attempts to escape, she's stabbed one by one of the brothers and then shot. It's ultimately the poison that kills her. Um, details of, of the character's autopsy is later translated in, in a later translated version reveal that it had burnt the coats of her stomach and turned her brain quite black. The beauty of the young woman was transmuted into a beast, into the beast of a blackened husk. Beauty and the beast. So I thought originally that they were saying all the men were the beast, but they were saying that she was turned in, from a beauty into a beast because of the jealousy of these, these brothers mm-hmm. uh, who wanted to all possess her, which is just crazy. Um, however, Beaumont's version of Madame de Gange's tales is written as a moral for young women. She is basically saying that the Marchioness, the woman that we just mentioned, was kind of, was kind of at fault because she was so busy admiring her own beauty that she ends up making her husband jealous, who tells her she should stay at home more often. So it's almost like they're trying to blame her mm-hmm. in the, the, another version for being so pretty. And like, if you weren't so vain, like this, you kind of brought this on yourself. However, in the newer version, the beauty is distinctly comparable to the beautiful Madame de Gange, but like her beauty willingly, willingly now, like mm-hmm. kind of like the Disney stories, she willingly goes to, but then is forced to submit to the will of a ferocious beast. Unlike the original woman in, in the real life, however, beauty is able to tame the beast by being a complying, prudent, and discreet wife. And the effect of that is that the beast transforms into a prince. I hate this. It's, it's a little problematic, right? I hate it because it also forces that idea that a woman should stay with an abusive person why? Because he'll finally change one day. One yes. day he's the prince that I want. And that is not the reality of being in an abusive, re- re- I'm sorry, abusive relationship. Nope. It's not. Like, just leave. Just go. Get out as soon as possible. Stop trying to fix people and be with someone who knows what they want, who's a stand-up person from the beginning. If you get trapped into these relationships, like, who knows where you're going to be at? Who knows where you're going to be at later on? So- I, yeah, this this story is super problematic for me. Like, I absolutely, I've, I've got a big problem with it, obviously. So, so there's actually another version um, from in De Beaumonts. Did I say that right? Sure. Say how you would say it. De Beaumont. De Beaumont. 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 
Beer, but there's no it's R. Fine. That's just how we pronounce it. Beermont. Okay. Beer. Oh, beer. Yeah. Beer. <laughs> um, so in his conclusion, it hints at the unsatisfactory nature of the youngest of three sisters. She is charming, sweet-tempered. Um, she ends up loving the beast, even though he has a deformity that scares her. Um, the sisters, however, they are proud and wealthy and they refuse to marry anyone less than a duke or an earl. And the wicked creatures are so cruel to beauty that they rub onions into their eyes to feign crying when she leaves her family home to live in the beast castle. I, that one I have read. Really? I've never read that before. Yeah. Um, and so the writer seems to be implying that for the majority of women in the 18th century, that were on the marriage market, there was little potential for a happily ever after. And only the exercise of making a judicious choice would ensure that you could get one, right? Like a happily, a happy ending. Yeah. So for beauty sisters, they chose to value wealth and status above all else, which would make them the beast within and ultimately becoming their downfall. There's so much wrong with this. Like, yeah. But it says a lot, though, about the times and about how women are treated and what was expected of them. Um, the same thing with like arranged marriages and things like that. It's just like, well, doesn't matter what anyone says. Eventually, um, you know, you'll grow to love this person or you'll grow to like take care of this person, that kind of thing. Or it doesn't matter what you want or how you feel. This is a match made for us to have more land to make, you know, peace with the family. Women were used as like a bargaining chip at the time, like not oh, yeah. really a person, you know, it was, they were a commodity to be traded and given at will. Yeah. And the more beautiful and the more graceful, the more money you could get for her. Right. There was even a period in time in like the Renaissance times when knights or like men of, you know, royalty, when they would come to someone's castle, mm -hmm. it was, it was the normal process for whoever owned the land to give their wife or their daughter to that man to sleep with as like, you know, welcome to my home, please have sex with my wife or my daughter you know, to welcome you here and then you'll be on your way. It was, I, I just, I don't understand. <sighs> wow. Wow, wow, we wow. That's insanity. I've never heard that before and I can't wait to look into it some more. Um, so let's get off of this one because I'm like really upset. I'll probably get upset by this one too, but um, take us into Peter Pan. So Peter Pan was a story by J.M. Barry. Um, this one is not as old as the other one. This was written in a novel in 1902 called The Little White Bird. It's supposed to be semi-autographical. Wait, no, missed a syllable in there. It's the semi-autobiographical <laughs> tale of a man becoming enamored with a little boy who he wants to steal away from his mother. In order to befriend the child, he makes up the story of Peter Pan, the fairy, bird, baby, all of those things, who lives in London, Kensington Gardens. Great. So we're talking about pedophilia again. Oh, we haven't even delved into it. But oh, God. Yeah. I'm so not excited. So this version, I, which I've never heard before, I, I think this is really cool. I start reading it and I was like, what? This is new to me too. Oh my God. So Peter Pan is actually a week old baby when he leaves home and he never ages past that marker a week. Okay. Peter Pan in his week, in his week old baby mind believes that his mother will always leave the window open for him. So he plays gleefully with the fairies and the birds without fear of losing her affection. But when he finally makes up his mind to go back to her, he finds that it's too late. 
Um, the windows are barred and his mother's cuddling another baby. Um, her love was conditional after all, and now she's replaced him. It's a portrait of Peter Pan that's much more tragic than the iconic portrait to come. So already we can kind of hear the, you know, now that we know a lot more about this sort of thing, he's he's creating a story or a land where he's grooming this child to think that his parents don't love him anymore, mm-hmm. which is, oh my God. I, I, but now that like I hear it, I'm like, yep. yeah, that kind of makes a lot more sense. But so the whole thing was based on Barry's own relationship with George Llewellyn Davies, a five-year-old boy. Oh, nice. The whole thing was based on Barry's own relationship with George Llewellyn Davies, which was a five-year-old boy he met in Kensington Gardens when he was 37. Barry's dog, the basis for Nana, ran right up to the boy. Ooh. And, and it, it was said that Barry had a deep affection for the child. Barry was soon to develop a, a really deep and jealous friendship with George's four little brothers, John, Michael, Nicholas, and Peter, the last of whom would ultimately share his name with Peter Pan. So again, grooming, oh. right? Like, it's crazy. So critics and biographers have, are, have been arguing for decades about whether or not there was anything sexual about his affection for these boys. Mm-hmm. And the question has never been settled, you know, settled to anyone's satisfaction because it wasn't really a thing that was talked about back then. Um, mm-hmm. But most of his, like, his family members at the time and people who knew him describe him as being asexual. They said that he was an innocent person. He didn't show any desire for men, women, children, animals, nothing. He just was just there. Um, and he, but he was married twice, but he never had any children of his own. It was later said that Barry was so, so eventually when George's mother passed away, she mm. left the boys to him to raise. Oh, wow. And so, but, but, you know, so they were saying that like, maybe there wasn't anything, you know, nefarious at the time, but w- again, this was not a thing. So yeah. she would have been like, oh, it's so great that this rich older man is taking an eye after my kids and, you know, yeah. especially this one boy. And then, um, so he raised a lot of the other boys until they were older. Two of them passed away. And after the death of George, he ultimately passed away from, you know, natural causes. But they said he was devastated by this death when he was like in his 50s or 60s. Oh, so wow. it, it is a weird story. Um, and yeah, good luck getting that image out of your mind now. You know what? I'm going to take this back. Um, the pedophilia thing, right? I feel like, okay, so here's the thing. I feel like men automatically get judged really quickly when they have a relationship with a child that is not their own or family, right? Like when they have a friendship. Um, And I don't mean like a friendship, like I met you at the park. I mean, like it's your friend's kid or something like that. Um, You know, and then you just, you know, the kid really likes that person or, you know, what have you, they have a good time you know, playing with toys, doing whatever they need to. Men always get a bad rep, like really quickly. And that keeps a lot of men from showing that they actually want children and that they actually do enjoy um, being around children. Women, on the other hand, we're just considered natural caregivers and naturally like, you know, to be in children's lives, no matter what, like literally that whole idea that like, if you're having a hard time in public, adjusting something or trying to get something for you know out of the the stroller or something a woman can look around look for another woman and say can you please hold my child and there's a better chance that you will actually hand your child over to them and trust that that woman will stay there and you won't feel any type of way rather than you doing that to a man like I don't know I it it is that's a hundred percent true um society does do that especially since 
since pedophilia is is kind of known for being like oh it's men kind of preying mm-hmm. on women but like let's be honest everybody of late what are the stories that you're hearing about these teachers and these male students teach female teacher male student female and it's been I mean almost every day it's been like this for years now like so it's on both sides I mean (laughs) you have to know who you can trust around your kids but pay attention like sometimes these people have the worst intentions sometimes they have the best intentions like I love kids I would protect a kid with my life whether I knew that child or not like I have no negative intention but no one's ever been like I don't trust you on my child, you know, mm-hmm. like I've never had to deal with that. But there are a lot of guys who just genuinely like kids. Like they're just like, oh, I love them. Like they're fun. They're great. Mm-hmm. You know, it's my little homie, you know, I'll take him to play basketball, I'll be like a male figure. But it, it sucks that, that those types of innocent relationships have been tainted by these people with these really terrible, terrible, uh, what's the right word? Intentions? Inclinations. Yeah. So I'll tell you a quick story. Um, I think, I don't know if I've told you this before, but me, Bill, and um another couple friend we were going to do you know remember this place um here in denver it was called molecule bar so basically it's like a coffee bar but they also sell alcohol and they do like you know alcohol infused coffee and blah blah it's like a small little place that you can kind of hang out i never heard of it um (laughs) take you when you get here girl Hmm. Um, (laughs) so they um so we're walking through and this place is on like the corner of the street like of like a regular road. Um, and right as we're opening the door, the first two of us through are me, Bill, then Robin. Um, and the last person behind us is Frank. Frank is this huge guy, super tall, super friendly. Love Frank. Um, hi guys. If you're listening, Robin and Frank. Um, but as we're coming in this little girl, she had to be like four or five, this little black girl, um, and I'm saying this specifically because of just the people that were involved in how this works um, and maybe how things were perceived to other people. But we see this little girl, like the first of us see this little girl like running past us. And we were just like, oh, like we're inside of the place. So we just thought she was just running around. Um, turns out by the time she got to Frank, Frank was just walking through the door. She was trying to run out of the door. And so her parents... I, I don't know, it was two black women and then a white guy. I don't know who was who, what have you, but they're all sitting there and they all jump up and they're like, oh my God. Like, you know, as the girl is like almost through the door, right? And if she had kept going on the track that she was going, she was going to run into traffic, like oncoming traffic. And so Frank froze, like Frank, all he saw was this little girl running next to him he didn't know how to react. At least this is how I'm perceiving this, right? Um, someone grabbed one of the people there, one of the black women, she grabbed the girl. We keep continuing in. The white guy looks at Frank and goes, what the hell is wrong with you, bro? And like, is like scolding him. And they're giving him like scold, like scolding eyes and like, what are you doing, blah, blah. They basically were about to blame him for her running out of the door of this bar they're all sitting there in these couch areas I think there's like two bottles of wine they're sitting there giggling whatever as their child is running around this adult place and it just so happened that the same exact perfect timing she ran she almost ran out that door and I thought of it from his perspective first of all I was pissed because I was like that's your kid 
first of all. Mm-hmm. You should be having a handling on your child. Your child should not be running around an adult establishment this way. Like, get a handle on that shit. This is not a playground. Second of all, it's unfortunate that Frank was the last person. Men are not supposed to grab children they don't know. Right. Right? Not only that, but this really tall white guy that's a total stranger grabbing this little black girl like that. This, the whole dynamic just doesn't look right. And I was like, and Frank felt really bad. Like he's a nice guy. And he's like, oh my God, like she could have like, whatever. And I was like, Frank, you can't feel like that. Like that was their responsibility. Second of all, if you'd grabbed her, who knows what the next reaction would have been? Who knows? They could have been like, what are you doing? You know, why are you touching her? They would have found a way to blame him for something because they didn't want to take responsibility for the fact that they were being a little irresponsible. Mm -hmm. Um, And so just blame the closest person. Like, no, it's not my fault for, there was, oh, sorry. Yeah, no, go ahead. But like, this reminds me of that 90 Day Fiance episode with, um, who's the guy from Korea? Oh, um, I know what you're talking about. I know exactly what you're talking about. Devon, 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 Devin? And, yeah, whatever. And okay. so her daughter is known for being wild and like crazy. Oh my gosh, right? yes. Um, Dr- Drusilla, Dracula, Drusilla. Um, <laughs> she, she's, she's a handful. She doesn't listen. And like her mom's just like, oh, it's okay that she put her hands in the eggs that I'm about to cook for everybody. Like, it's fine. It's no big deal mm-hmm. that she's crawling on the counter. Like, it's okay. We just let her run around. Like, no, it's not okay. Mm-mm. So they're out filming and she just, the daughter like takes off running and she gets mad, even though she was with the daughter, she gets mad at her, that his, you know, her husband, her stepdad was like, you let her run into the street and she almost got hit by traffic. And it was like, ma'am, you were with her. Your mother was with her. The whole filming crew was with her, but it's his fault. Yeah. No, you let her do this on a regular basis. So like, yeah. of course that's what she did, but she blames everyone else instead of like taking responsibility for the fact that her daughter's a little wild. Like, yeah. She, it happens but like you don't have to point a finger and be like shame on you for not watching my child for me yeah yeah it's true it's true but it goes back to that whole again like I said the reason why I'm relating it back to Peter Pan is in this whole thing with men men are not supposed to you know engage with children society tells them not to engage with children that they don't know you know but women can women can you know bend down go oh my god you're so cute and like can I have a hug and da 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 even if you don't know them but men can't do the same. And that I think is really detrimental to um, men in general, like how in, in showing emotion and showing feelings and showing affection for children. It's like society is literally telling them you're not allowed to have this affection. Yeah. Um, so, but I understand why people make the connection between Peter Pan also and Michael Jackson. Like, think about that. You were telling me you were reading about the asexual thing. And mm-hmm. I was like, that's the argument. Yep. The big argument has always been was he a pedophile or was he just there? Was he just this person that just connected with children on a totally platonic, you know, level? And a lot of a lot of pedophiles have been able to fly under the radar by, you know, having that sort of like, oh, they're asexual. Just because you don't see them being interested in a man or woman doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. mean that they're asexual. And so it's it's it can be it can be tricky. But but anyway, um, like so many of the themes in a lot of these fairy tales that we covered today, mm-hmm. Ilya is one of them. Um, all like the graphic violence when, what's her face? Um, Cinderella, when her step parents, we didn't talk about it, but when her stepsisters cut off pieces of their feet mm-hmm. to fit their foot into that glass slipper, really yeah. like crazy violence, um, you know, bestiality with Beauty and the Beast. Yep. Uh, just there's so many problems. Problemsome. That's not a word. Problemsome. 
there are a lot of themes that are concerning, especially because these are fairy, they're folk tales, you know, yeah. we think of them as fairy tales, but they were handed down over generations and generations. And by talking about them, we are keeping them alive. So hopefully we can keep the good parts of it, like the cautionary, like, if you see a wolf dressed like your grandma, like, don't hang out with that person, you know, like, <laughs> um, <laughs> I have to say, like, um, since Xavier, I told you early, I think he's going through his terrible twos. He's starting them early. Um, yesterday, I found myself saying to him, hey, Xavi, don't be the boy who cried wolf. I was like, yeah. just found myself saying that just to him because he was he was just whining for no reason and flopping for no reason. Like, <laughs> So I would say, you know, maybe do a little research on some of the fairy tales, pick like the little like happier versions of them mm-hmm. to read to your children. But let's keep it going. But there are so many other fairy tales that we wanted to talk about, but we just did not have enough time. So no. we might be doing another part to this. So if you liked it, let us know. Oh my God. No, we're doing it. We're doing it. I'm hooked. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, there it is. <laughs> like you saw the, actually, I remember you told me, you're like, Jabby, you have six pages here. And I was like, uh-uh. No, I don't. No, I don't. What? I'm literally, I'm literally looking at it. I had, at that time I had eight words in my outline and I was like, ma'am, No. <laughs> shut it down <laughs> wow wow we didn't even hit like some of the other ones we didn't even hit cinderella oh god there's so much more to little mermaid yeah we have wow. a lot so if you liked it tune in for the the next half of this but yes. um for now thank you for joining us for another episode in 2021 season two all the good stuff we have so much good content to bring you guys over the next couple months so please stay tuned follow us like us social media Ebenistas, you know, we appreciate any love and support that we can get. And even subscribe to us on Spotify, uh, Stitcher, what's the other one? Apple Podcasts, Google mm-hmm. Podcasts, Amazon. Wait, no, Google Podcasts is no longer a thing. Oh, okay. So YouTube, um, like us on YouTube, and uh, <laughs> we're on pretty much all of the platforms. So please like, follow, so that we know that you guys are listening and you enjoy what we're doing. Yeah. So thanks, guys. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Oh, f- the Ebenezer's podcast was created, written, recorded, and produced by Javi and Doreen. Theme music by Chris Black of Truck Music Productions. <laughs>